All right, guys, welcome to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Thanks for tuning in. Got uh, some important stuff to cover on the show for you. Uh, James Carden is going to be back on the show to talk about Russia. I like James Carden. He writes good stuff. Usually he's at the National Interest. Uh, the latest one is from uh, uh, ConsortiumNews.com. Is it on the page today? I can't keep track of days and nights and which articles run when. I always run a day or two after I approve them, so anyway. Um, let me see here. ConsortiumNews.com. Here's a good one by Jonathan Marshall, taking aim at Russia's underbelly. I hope that you'll look at that, too. And, um, yeah, I do have my problems with Robert Perry, but damn it, I admire the ship he sails here, man. He does a great job at ConsortiumNews.com. He's got a lot of great writers there and everything like that, so definitely worth uh, keeping an eye on there. Where the hell is this Cardin article? Well, I'm trying to tell you the name of the thing. Uh, but anyway, it's like uh, somewhere I'll find it. It's about World War One and how people that run countries suck at it, <laughs> basically. They could get us all killed. You think that, yeah, but I mean, they wouldn't do that though, right? But yeah, but why wouldn't they? Sure they would. Maybe it's all they can do. All right, well, anyway, so um, I can't find the damn article, but it's around here somewhere, and I'll find it during the break. James Carden on Russia and China. Um, I mean on Russia, not China. I was looking at the word China when I said that. Carden on Russia uh, coming up on the show. And then Arund Kundnani. Kundnani. Uh, thankfully, I haven't been able to get a hold of him for this whole week, so I've had lots of practice with his name in the meantime trying to get a hold of him. Arund Kundanani. He's going to be on the show to talk about the totalitarian police state in your kid's high school. And I don't just mean, you know, the way that they're controlled on the Prussian model, you know, John Taylor Gatto stuff. But I mean, yeah, no, the government is data mining your kid's politics. Oh, yeah, but you know what? If you're not doing anything wrong then you don't have anything to hide, right? So as long as your kid loves the Democrats or the Republicans, then everything's great. If your kid um, has any politics outside of that and say, I don't know, a belief that there is one God named Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger, well, boy, you better look the hell out. They've got your ass the FBI, COINTELPRO, out in the open, uh, and targeting children. Well, minors anyway. You know, teenagers kind of count as not quite adults. So, uh, yeah, no, man, this thing, it's worse than you think, maybe. Or, I don't know, depending on how cynical you are. It's pretty bad, though. You might have thought, geez, Scott, are you sure that article isn't from the future? Like, say, I don't know, 2018 or something like that? Mm, no, afraid not. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Scott Horton. I'm here on the Liberty Radio Network. 
uh, from noon to 2 Eastern time on the weekdays. Every other Tuesday night, I do Eye on the Empire with Jeff Tucker at Liberty.me. And every Thursday night, I do uh, The Future of Freedom with Jacob Hornberger at Liberty.me. Had a couple of good ones this week, I think. Maybe. I don't know. If you like watching me instead of just hearing me, go and uh, see me interacting with uh, Tucker and Hornberger there. Liberty.me, it's all on YouTube and whatever. Eye on the Empire and the Future of Freedom are the names of the shows. Um, also, I guess I should go ahead and mention that um, every Friday morning, an hour before, well, two hours, starting two hours before I go on here, um, for the last quite a few months, I've been doing every Friday for an hour with Ernie Hancock here on Liberty Radio Network. He interviews me from uh, 9 to 10, my time. Texas time, I guess, uh, 10 to 11 East Coast time. And then uh, and then I have an hour to get my show ready <laughs> to try to come on in one more hour. So, And mostly we talk about politics and the wars, and you ask me about the Middle East and about Trump and whatever. So if you like that, tune in. To, if you like me a lot, tune in and hear me early on Ernie's show every Friday morning. I always forget until the last minute, so I won't blame you if you do, too. And then I'm on Sunday mornings on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. And they've got repeaters on, I forget all the different frequency now frequencies now, but they cover all of Southern California, all the way down to Mexico, or at least all the way down to San Diego. Um, and... Um, from Santa Barbara or, you know, all the way up the coast to Santa Barbara. And then a bit up from there, though, there's mountains around that kind of limit the signal going north. But anyway, basically, um, oh, and then they go all the way out to, uh, uh, what you call it, Palm Springs. Out there, you know, more than halfway to Arizona, right? So they really, and the whole Inland Empire is covered. So, yeah, KPFK, man, they're killing it. I'm on there every Sunday morning, and um, I know that doesn't sound like the best spot, but they're just like Sunday morning, um, meet the press and all that. They've had their uh, public affairs news hours on Sunday morning on KPFK there for decades. So they have uh, a very strong built-in audience there for uh, hearing political talk. And I do anti-war radio for them every Sunday morning for... I don't know, at least 20,000 people or 50,000 or something, if I'm lucky. I don't know. Uh, so that's very good. 90.7 FM KPFK in L.A. Uh, for anti-war radio. And then, yeah, I guess that's all i got to say about that. Join up the chat room. Hey, guys, how's it going, man? Chat room guys, good to see you again. Maybe Mud Shark will drop by. Sometimes he does on Friday. Uh, yeah, it's the chat room. It's at scotthorton.org slash chat. It's a IRC free node chat, hashtag Scott Horton Show. IRC free node, hashtag Scott Horton Show. If you have XChat or Chatzilla or uh, Pigeon or whatever you like. Or just go to scotthorton.org slash chat, fake name and a caption. You're in there, hang out with the boys. Or follow me on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. But yeah, I need to add a new post. Today's show, uh, oh, this is on my blog, stress, at uh, scotthorton.org slash stress. 
and yeah man and so yeah I don't really do much blogging there anymore I admit but um like to post the announcement for today's show on there for you so you guys can check and see what's up and yeah more or less stalling for time now because it's almost time for the break to hit so there's no point in bringing up real complaints until we get back from the break but uh, yeah two good interviews coming up and then a little bit of politics and a lot of bad news to cover so should be a decent show for you. I don't know. I think I should start drinking more coffee in the morning before the show. I sound like Jeb. Low energy. Coming up on the show, I'm going to tell you why you should hate the government a lot. It's going to be really exciting. And if you don't believe me, then you're in terrible danger. And also, give me your money. Aren't you excited now? Okay, good. We'll be right back after this. You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers? Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still. If you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. So listen, I mean, if you guys are like me at all, which you must be at least a little bit, or else how could you stand to hear me say the things I say all the time, um, then you got to have a little bit of sympathy for Trump in a way when you just see who's arrayed against him. Who it is that's trying to stop him. And I mean the powerful ones. I don't mean, you know, regular people who are terrified of him. But I mean, Bill Crystal is terrified of him. So, <laughs> you know, it's a world of opposites, man. Left, right, up, down, Crystal, and whoever he don't like. Right? And uh, so, okay. But the problem is, is he's just so horrible, man. And if you guys saw the debate last night, he said, yeah, 20, 30,000 ground troops to invade the Islamic State. Iraq war, two and a half going on now. Not good enough. Well, two and three quarters. Not good enough. Trump is going to lead a full-scale invasion of Iraq. Iraq war three, full on. And this thing about Muslims, oh, Islam hates us. Well, come on. I mean, what the hell does that even mean? Any little kid would say, well, you know, I mean, 
Those words actually can't really fit together. We sort of know what you're getting at. You're trying to say all Muslims hate us, but of course that sounds so stupid on its face it couldn't possibly be right. So you say that the thing that they all believe in is the thing that hates us, which is a complete non sequitur, but yeah, okay. And then when asked by Jake Tapper, what the hell are you talking about? You don't really mean that. Why don't you clarify? Here's here's an opportunity for you to climb down from that by a step or two, Mr. Trump. And he goes, no, nah, I stand by that. That's fine. That's right. They all hate us. And then I love this, his little package thing, until we figure out what's going on. And then I can pull the trap door on the gallows under Tapper for this myself, for refusing to say, well, if that's true... Why do you think it is that Muslims are motivated to attack and kill Americans? Donald, is it something in the text about people from the middle part of North America that wasn't even known to exist at the time that the Quran was written? Or what is it? And, you know, I mean, obviously Tapper isn't going to say, whoa, now, are you saying, are you quoting Osama bin Laden repeatedly saying it was the first Gulf War and the permanent occupation of Saudi Arabia and support for Israel that caused them to do what they did? He's not going to say that, but Jesus Christ, you could open up the avenue of discussion. Nah. Still in 2016... And then Rubio, <laughs> God help us all, Rubio and Cruz and the rest of them are saying, you know, some variation of that it's kind of true, but you're not supposed to say that because we're trying to fool most of them into not hating us while we, you know, kill people all around them. Uh, but... Uh, so, because we don't want to have to kill all billion, 1.6 billion, right, or something. But Cruz says, no, it's not all Islam. It's radical Islam, which he then says is millions of people. Millions of people are trying to kill us. Really? Jesus Christ. You know, it's not fair that these Republicans, well, I guess it is fair. But it bothers me a little bit. I think it would be more honest if they began everything they said with, listen, all you stupid idiots who will believe any ridiculous thing I tell you as long as it makes you feel afraid, which is fun. There are millions of scary boogeymen coming to get you. Effing little children. Tiny, crying, stupid little children. I mean, Jesus Christ, if millions of Muslims were trying to kill you, you'd have already been killed. Or at least you'd have killed some in a battle somewhere or something, right? There'd have been at least one big arson fire in your town. One mass shooting where you live. Christ's sake. As recently as 2011, the caliphate was bin Laden's attic in Pakistan, a thousand miles from where he's from. It's taken Bush and Obama to make the caliphate. 
with help from the Republicans. And you heard him last night attacking Assad, praising Ted Cruz, praises al-Sisi, the dictator of Egypt, for killing the Muslim Brotherhood and related uh, jihadist groups and whatever in Sinai, etc. Hooray for him. And then still same consensus. It was Kasich, but still same consensus. Oh, that terrible Assad. For what? For killing the Muslim Brotherhood. And worse, Al-Qaeda. The guys who are sworn loyal to Ayman al-Zawahiri, the butcher of New York City. But Assad is the bad guy in that one. But the Muslim Brotherhood that never attacked us at all, who in the case of Egypt, uh, when they won their free election fair and square back in 2000, well, elections in 2012, um, were a bunch of senior citizen, rich, old, golfing Republicans and nothing like a jihadist threat to Egypt, much, le- much less the United States. No, by all means, murder them by the more than a thousand, maybe thousands, by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Um, but Assad, yeah, he's got to go to make way for the Muslim Brotherhood, if we're lucky. And of course, for those of you who are longtime fans of the show, you know that that phrase goes back to long before the regime change broke out in 2011. I've been asking people like Eric Margulies and other experts on uh, Robert Dreyfus and others uh, who were experts on the neocons' take on Syria and what they wanted to do in Syria, and I would always ask them the same thing. These neocons, once they overthrow Assad and the Ba'athist government, who do they think is going to take their place? When the Sunnis are a supermajority, they're not the 20% minority like in Iraq. They're the supermajority there. And they have not been allowed to have any political leadership at all, really. Um, you know, I mean, actually, that's not really true. They're well represented in the army and all kinds of things. But it's not like there's a, a free society there. It's basically a fascist dictatorship. And um, But so the only organization that they have outside of the state among Sunnis in Syria is the Muslim Brotherhood. And, of course, there was a history, and Eric Margulies was there right down the road at the time. Uh, when it happened in, in Hama in 19, was it 88? When Assad's father massacred 20,000 Muslim Brotherhood and put down their uprising back then. So it was always obvious that they would be the nice version of what would take place after Assad in the event of regime change. Al-Qaeda even worse. And I said that for years on this show, and my expert guest said so for years on the show before 2011. Probably going back to 2004 or 2003 even maybe. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today.
Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. All right, anyway... I'm sorry, you know me and my tangents, man. Damn Syria war and this and that. What I was trying to do, if I could stay on my train of thought, was discredit this crap about Islam makes people hate innocence. Don't be stupid. Sorry. Stop being stupid. That's not what it's about. It's really not. Um, and, and here's the other thing, and I'm sorry I spent so much time telling all you liberals and conservatives how much I hate you and how terrible you are and, and whatever on the show yesterday and all the other ones before that, because here's the real deal. Actually, you're all really great on a lot of stuff. Now, libertarianism is the distillation of enlightenment thinking, basically. It's individual rights to the nth degree. It's the unified field theory of liberty. Now, you liberals and conservatives, I forgive you. You know, I'm trying to be nice here. But you're the deviationists from the new order. And the new order is that individuals are born free. And we're armed. And so we don't have to have an argument. We just say it's self-evident. And if you don't like it, screw you. That's right there. Direct quote from the Declaration of Independence. Just so happens the the revolution was fought sort of kind of somewhat over these principles and they were certainly the the excuse for the war <laughs> and our country is founded this is our civic religion in this country all of us that individual human beings are born free as uh, Locke put it tabula rasa right nobody's got any more divine right than anybody else not to devi- not to deny the king's divine right just we all have the same one too so he's not the lord over us right that's what we all believe and if you're a liberal boy do you have a lot of deviations but at your core that's your thing right the declaration of independence thinking kind of thing right and for you conservatives jesus your deviations are just legendary and yet at the core, what you're trying to conserve is that classical liberalism of individual freedom. That's what's worth saving from the onslaught of new ideas and changes, right? That's what we agree on. That old, 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 before socialism, little l liberalism. Okay? And a huge part of that Maybe the hugest is, well, as Sheldon Richmond puts it, it's not the non-aggression principle, it's the non-aggression obligation. Other people are not your property, and they're not your damn business, period. And especially their beliefs. If you think you got the right to dictate what other people believe in, You'd have to accept that they have the right to dictate what you believe in. And uh, for God's sake, at least the space between our ears has got to belong to us only, right? 
So even just the the first kind of hint of going after people based on their religious beliefs and whatever sect they subscribe to, however defined, ought to make everyone angry. Like I, you know, whichever religion you in, uh, you're in or believe in or whatever, I don't agree with it. Um, but respecting your right to it is my first priority, basically, or arguing for your right so that others would respect your right to it is my first priority. It should be all of our first priority. Demonizing people for being Catholics or Jews or Muslims or something like this. I don't know if anybody ever demonizes the Buddhists. They're all such nice folks. But for God's sake, man, I mean, this shouldn't even be a topic of discussion. Other than the fact that our government is an evil empire that for generations has been slaughtering Muslims where they live, creating enemies for the United States, for the American people. And they cannot and will not ever fess up to it. So instead they blame the religious beliefs of their victims when the reality is the Middle East they seek to dominate and Islam is the belief that the people who live there happen to have. Other than that, this is basically just incidental. And so now, without George Bush to say, I'm the leader of conservatism and it's not Islam, it's only these some few kooks, okay? Without him there to say that, and especially with, you know, right-wing partisanship for the last seven years playing, eight years, playing... Um, uh, you know, toward this kind of bigotry. I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that right, but you know what I mean, where Obama gives an incentive, especially with his name and everything, he gives an incentive um, for this kind of what I, I thought used to be much more marginal kind of uh, argumentation in American politics. It seems like a real step backwards in terms of... Uh, call it race relations or whatever it is, melting potism in this country. It really sucks. And and especially to have somebody like Trump, to have the most powerful man, and this guy's going to be our president, man, dimes to dollars, dollars to dimes. Um, and to have him leading the parade of demonizing the politically powerless, I mean, as it's, it's uh, pretty revolting, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's revolting right up there with his pledge to reinvade Iraq. I can see Robert Kagan and Bill Crystal and all these guys climbing right back on, on the bandwagon right now. All right. Um, what time is it? Okay. So listen, man, I want to, uh, oh, let me just mention this real quick just cause I thought it was funny. And then I, but I also thought maybe this could really happen, dude. Check it out. Uh, I had a dream this morning. I don't know if I had it all night or anything, but I had a dream this morning as as I was waking up that what if you could get some reporter, I mean, there's so many of them with so much access, and technology is such now, what if you could get a reporter to plant a bug on these presidential candidates? It wouldn't be hard, right? Take a tiny little, you know, um, 
a half a dime size little thing that you slip and stick on the inside of their coat, uh, their their jacket sleeve or something like that. And then wouldn't that be great to have, even if it was just audio, no video, and have some candid audio of of uh, the front runners here? What's Trump saying when he thinks there's no mic? What's Hillary saying when she thinks there's no mic? And bug these bastards. Wouldn't that be fun? I wish somebody could do that. I, it, somebody could do that. Secret Service be damn, man. They could be standing right there. All it's got to be is a tiny little thingamajig. It's 2016, for Christ's sake. I'm not trying to get myself investigated. I don't have access to or knowledge of such technology or candidates, nor do I seek it. I'm just saying I want all you all to do it, because I think that would be rad. (laughs) I bet you could get Trump calling people the N-word on the first day. Maybe Hillary, too. All right. Um, okay, so I had to just mention that real quick because it's stuck in my brain there. And then, all right, man, so now we talked about this um, on uh, the show last night with Jacob Hornberger, Jeffrey Goldberg's piece on Barack Obama. Of course, it's Jeffrey Goldberg on Barack Obama, but it's really long, and there's some stuff in there. So I'm going to give you a little bit of my own... Uh, Review and comment. You know, the Hornberger show is mostly about me interviewing him, although I get, have my say. You know how it is. But uh, my review and commentary on that when we get back after this. This is Scott Horton Show. Hey, Al Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. So you're a libertarian and you don't believe the propaganda about government awesomeness you were subjected to in fourth grade. You want real history and economics. Well, learn in your car from professors you can trust with Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. And if you join through the Liberty Classroom link at scotthorton.org, we'll make a donation to support The Scott Horton Show. Liberty Classroom, the history and economics they didn't teach you. All right, y'all, welcome back. Ain't quite Nuremberg rallies, man, but, you know, you got to admit things are getting a little out of control at some of these Trump rallies. Where the guy that sucker punched the guy, did you see that? The quote, I don't know if he really said this, but... Supposedly, the guy that sucker punched the black guy who was just walking out, um, and who I don't think had been disruptive or anything was just standing there. Um, he said he deserved it. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. We don't know who he is. He might be with a terrorist organization. <laughs> so anyway, that's the mentality. Like, hey, if you're black, what the hell are you doing here at our Trump rally? Boy, whoa. (laughs) We didn't realize it was getting that explicit. So Trump's not pretending at all that blacks are welcome at all, that he considers them to be Americans that he would have as part of his coalition. The blacks think I'm great, he says, you know, from time to time. (laughs) 
uh, I've got a great relationship with the blacks. But meanwhile, if one shows up at his rally, you know, better hope the local sheriff gets you before the mob does. All right. Okay. Just so we're all on the same page about, I don't know what. <laughs> it seems like uh, Trump could, well, obviously, with one statement, he could just say, oh, yeah, no, all you white nationalist types who think I like you, you're wrong. I don't. I like black people way more than you. You get the hell out. He could say that one time. I want to fill this stadium with black people and I want all you white nationalists to go jump in a lake and stay there. But you don't hear him talk like that, do you? No. What a dick. All right, anyway, so... I just want to point out a couple of things in this Goldberg piece. If you don't know, Jeffrey Goldberg is the worst hack in all of American journalism. And uh, he's been a real sucko. He's a, he's a hardcore Likudnik, but sort of a liberal in American political terms, um, even though he's a Likudnik and right in uh, Israeli ones. And um, he's kind of been Obama's go-to guy when it comes to getting his message across to the Israeli right. Uh, when it came to, you know, yes, I'm pursuing the nuclear deal, but Jeffrey Goldberg, tell everybody, I said, I swear to God, I really will start a war before I let them make nuclear bombs. You know, I really mean that. And tell them that you believe me when I say I really mean it. And so then Jeffrey Goldberg goes out there and says so. Okay, so that's who Goldberg is. He's a hack writer. He lied you into war with articles in The New Yorker claiming that uh, Saddam and Osama were friends back in 2003. He's a he was actually a prison guard in the occupied territories, if you could believe that. During the first Gulf War, he joined the army, the Israeli army. He's an American. When joined the Israeli army in the first Gulf War, and um, and anyway, he's a real piece of crap. Uh, and and uh, but so that's sort of the it matter. I have to say that to explain that yes, it's a long and boring and horrible article by Jeffrey Goldberg. I mean, ugh, why would anybody read that? And the reason why, of course, is because there's some nuggets in there, man. It's first-person uh, statements of the president himself. And, of course, you you know, 90% of the value of it you have to get from reading between the lines and, and remembering the context and this and that. Um, and, and most of it is completely worthless. But then again, there's some stuff to learn. So that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, first of all, I like what I'm going to quote later. Right now and later, uh, Obama's statement about Afghanistan. In his words, he got jammed by the military. That is, they entered politics. And they basically forced him to order the surge. Petraeus, McChrystal, and uh, their co-conspirators, they rolled him. That's what Gareth Porter called it. How Obama got rolled on Afghanistan. And it was his decision. It was his political decision. He could have told them, hell no. He could have given that West Point speech all about why I'm not going to send you boys over there to die for nothing. This is stupid. Okay? But he didn't do that. And the reason why, and this was in their own words at the time, the Democrats explained. He was afraid of looking weak. So he bowed down. Before people who are stronger than him, because he was afraid of what they would do. And 
He looked strong. It worked. It was good politics. The liberals didn't care. As long as it was Obama doing it. And it helped protect his right flank. Um, how could he ever have lived down withdrawing from two wars when he had to live up to Bush's agreement to leave Iraq? So he doubled and tripled the Afghan war and failed anyway. All he accomplished was getting thousands of American soldiers killed and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Afghans killed in their political move that they all knew would fail. Well, they jammed me. And then he complains they were trying to jam me on Syria. But what's funny there is it was the military that stopped him. It was, and and uh, we already know that Dempsey had thrown him under the bus, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But we also learn in the Goldberg article, and here I have, if I page back on my Twitter, I think I can find it for you. Oh, I know, it's in my, my JPEGs I uploaded here. Let me look. If you go to my Twitter, um, you can find these quotes under photos and videos, twitter.com slash Scott Horton Show, and then you go photos and videos. So here's the quote. Obama also shared with McDonough, that's his uh, chief of staff, a long-standing resentment. He was tired of, wash- of watching Washington unthinkingly drift toward war in Muslim countries. Four years earlier, the president believed, the Pentagon had jammed him on a troop surge for Afghanistan. That jammed in quotes there. Now on Syria, he was beginning to feel jammed again. And he goes on to complain, yeah, there's this playbook that the entire foreign policy establishment reads from, and it says bomb them no matter what. You know, that's not the exact words, but something like that. But then here's the thing about him uh, being jammed by not the, not the national security state, I don't think, when it came to the aborted attack on uh, Syria in um, August, September 2013. Quote, Obama was unsettled by a surprise visit early in the week from James Clapper, his director of national intelligence, who interrupted the president's daily brief. The threat report Obama receives each morning from Clapper's analysts to make clear that the intelligence on Syria's use of sarin gas, while robust, was not a slam dunk. He chose the term carefully. Clapper, the chief of an intelligence community traumatized by its failures in the run-up to the Iraq war, was not going to over-promise in the manner of the one-time CIA director George Tenet, who famously guaranteed Bush a slam dunk in Iraq. So, And Tenet's excuse, of course, was, I never said it was a slam dunk that you were going to find the weapons of mass destruction. I said it was a slam dunk that you would be able to convince the people that that was what the war was about. That was his defense. You go and check. I said that the lie would work was the slam dunk. Is Tenet's defense. But anyway, I digress. Uh, point is, Clapper said to Obama, and the rest of this story we already know, because Phil Giraldi told us, former CIA officer, uh, wrote in the American Conservative Magazine and said it on the show. The CIA analyst said, we are not signing this thing. We are not assessing with high confidence that Assad did this attack. And they folded their arms and they threatened to resign. The CIA analysts 
threatened to resign. And so they put out, remember, a government assessment. Yes, we judge with high confidence that this happened, guys. And yet it was written in the language of a CIA assessment, but was not one. And that was because the White House put it together because they were the only ones that Obama could get to do it. And the CIA guys were going to resign uh, rather than be forced to tell the lie on that one. And uh, that's a huge part of why Obama backed down. And which, and if you go back and remember, there was only one group of anybody in the country who wanted that war, and it was the Israel lobby. I even had a funny conspiracy theory at the time that maybe Obama was encouraging them. I think there was even reporting he was encouraging them to help. And but my conspiracy was that maybe he was hanging them out to dry a little bit. He already knew he was going to change his mind, but he just wanted to show everybody who's pushing us. Harder, you know, who, who, who wants us to do this? Only APAC. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there. ScottHorton.Liberty.Me. Be free. Liberty.Me. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show, here on Liberty Radio Network. New to two on the weekdays. It's libertarian foreign policy, mostly. All right, so our first guest on the show today is James W. Carden. He is contributing writer for The Nation and uh, also writes regularly at the National Interest. He's the editor of the American Committee for East-West Accords website, eastwestaccord.com. He previously served as an advisor on Russia to the Special Representative for Global Intergovernmental Affairs at the State Department, and he has this very important piece at consortiumnews.com called Sleepwalking Towards Catastrophe. Welcome back to the show, James. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Uh, very happy to have you back on the show here. Um, so first of all, before we get into the um, the uh, subject matter, I mean, it's all related, of course. Um, I was hoping uh, you could discuss a little bit, tell us about what I thought was pretty big news, that uh, you guys were able to bring on Chuck Hagel, the former Republican senator and former Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama, onto your committee for East-West Accord, which is, uh, you know, in a word, uh, anti-new Cold War group, uh, pro-peace with Russia group that you guys uh, have set up here. So please tell us all about how that happened and how important you think that is, et cetera, like that. Well, I'm not um, I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, privy to those sorts of things. Uh, it's kind of above my pay grade. I just edit the website. But um, we're very, very pleased uh, not only uh, that um, – 
Chuck Hagel has been gracious enough to, to join us. Um, we've also added um, a number of other very distinguished uh, Americans in the past couple of months. Um, so the, the board is now at 11 members, uh, and it includes um, Donald F. McHenry, who was um, the U.N. ambassador under uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, he's joined us. Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt's granddaughter, uh, Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, has joined us, and she's the uh, chairman of the Roosevelt Institute. Um, up in New York. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we're growing and, um, maybe not, you know, growing as quickly as I would like on the, on the web, uh, eastwestaccord.com. But, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, 2016 is, uh, shaping up for the committee. So thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, sure. Um, well, and, you know, Chuck Hagel is a real big get if you can, you guys can get him to get out there and make some statements, give some speeches, and try to raise a little bit of hell. Of course, uh, Jack Matlock, the second-to-last ambassador to the Soviet Union, is there. We've spoken with him on the show a couple times. And Bill Bradley, former presidential candidate, former senator uh, from the Democratic Party. It sort of seems like any of the – and this is the thing with Bradley. I don't know a lot about Bradley, but uh, it seems like yeah, basically any of these guys who really know anything about Russia – and they don't have a real vested interest in climbing on board the band uh, on board on board the bandwagon. Jeez, uh, that's so difficult to say. Um, <laughs> for the new Cold War, they object. It's sort of like even Bob Barr is good on Iran. When Bob Barr, what reason does he have to be good on anything? But it's because his father worked in Iran when he was a kid, so he knows a little bit about it. So he knows BS when he hears it. That's you know what I mean. Well, that's right. I mean, um, you know, Senator Bradley. Um uh, was very involved, um, in the, um, in the post, um, in the post Cold War, um, you know, deliberations on how we should uh, approach Russia and was a very positive voice, um, back then. Uh, what you're saying about Babar, um, Babar, um, you know, almost, um, applies to, um, Representative Dana Rohrbacher, uh, who is, is unlike Barr, is still a sitting congressman, but he's been, uh, particularly good. On, uh, on, Rus- on Russian issues because, um, because he's been there. And I mean, and that's probably one of the first, you know, uh, well, that's a very rare thing, I think, for a member of Congress to actually have any firsthand experience dealing with the place. Um, and I think that once you have even a little bit, um, of exposure, um, it, it sort of, um, you know, the, the, uh, the tendency to paint, um, you know, to paint Russia in these, um, very stark, um, malign terms um, sort of dissipates. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think one of the most powerful uh, techniques, I, I'm sure Donald Trump would say, one of the most powerful techniques toward pushing or, or, you know, for pushing your point of view is you just bake your premise right into the question and make it seem as though it's, you know, uh, unanimously held uh, uh, belief or fact. Uh, such as last night in the debate, the question for Donald Trump about his uh, praise for uh, Vladimir Putin, um, Jake Tapper, who is not just an anchor, but is actually, you know, a journalist, the way he framed the question was, you know, you praise this autocrat. I think he may have even called him a dictator, as though he was not the elected president of Russia. But then again, there are a lot of elective dictatorships. I think I kind of live under one right now. So, uh, you know, I wonder if you'll really take that on as honestly as you can about just how powerful is Vladimir Putin? How unfair or fair is that characterization after all? Well, I mean, Tapper is, um, I think Tapper has been particularly bad on, on, on this, on this topic. I'm not sure how much he knows about foreign policy. Um, he, 
you know, his show has, has been, um, you know, has hosted one um, raging neocon uh, Russophobe after another. Um, and so I don't I'm not at all surprised that um, the Tapper posed the question to Trump the way that the way that he did. Um, you know, Trump is Trump is really, really worried. The um, <laughs> is worried the neocons with his with his comments about Russia. I mean, we saw. Uh, was it late last week, early last week, over a hundred, uh, neocons signed this open letter that was organized by, um, Professor Elliot Cohen, um, who worked under the George W. Bush, um, uh, State Department, um, you know, condemning, condemning, uh, Trump's, um, you know, foreign policy or supposed, you know, lack of foreign policy chops. Um, what was hilarious about the letter is that almost every one of the signatories, um, you know, had had some hand in the disasters of the George W. Bush administration, and 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 they actually mentioned it uh, in the body of the letter Trump's comments about the authoritarian Vladimir Putin, um, and so comments like like um, Trump's uh, like he was at a um, a rally, a big rally in Huntsville, Alabama, not too long ago, and he said, and this is a direct quote, um, "What's wrong with having?" Russia work with us instead of always fighting, fighting. What's wrong with having Russia drop bombs all the hell over ISIS? What's wrong with that? And, well, I don't see very much wrong with that, but if you're a, you know, if you're a neocon um, or, you know, anti-Putin campaigner who has been, you know, um, trying desperately to maneuver the United States into a Cold War for the past 15 years, you're going to find that, that sentiment to be pretty disturbing. And, and and they have found it to be very disturbing. And I think that that is why, you know, they dress up the opposition to Trump um, as though they are, you know, they're opposed to his racist um, comments about Mexicans and um, and Muslims. Um, I would find that believable if they weren't the people pushing, say, the career of Sarah, Sarah Palin. For instance, who's indulged in all sorts of language like that, but not a peep of not a peep of uh, protests when 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 she does it. So I, I find that hard to believe that their opposition is based on Trump's supposed, um, um, you know, uh, racist or xenophobic tendencies. He may have some, I don't know, but um, I think it has a lot to do with his position on 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 Russia and his position on the Middle East. All right, but now so their thing is, and you know how it is, is. Uh, if you're against, uh, war for the KLA, then you love Milosevic. And if you're against war for the Bada Brigade, then you love Saddam Hussein. And, and, you know, that's the way the accusation always goes. So, um, the way they put it is, you know, if you don't want to pick a fight with Russia, then you're pro Putin. And Trump actually, as Tapper said last night, it was a compliment. You said he's a strong leader. And, and so, of course, Trump didn't really answer, but that's not my point. My question is, uh, and and you said okay, you disagree with Tapper, and and he's bad on this. But how inaccurate is Tapper on this? Because after all, well, the music's playing, and now you don't have time to answer me. Uh, <laughs> on the other side of this break, then uh, that's that's what I want to know is is just how powerful is Putin? Is he really a dictator? How many more terms do you uh, expect him uh, to put in? And 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 what is the truth? of our Hawk's point of view about his intentions. That's what I want to ask when we get back with James Carden right after this, y'all. Hey, Al Scott here. 
The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers from Plato and St. Benedict to John Locke, Hayek, and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceroneanSociety.com. I love Bitcoin, but there's just something incredibly satisfying about having real, fine silver in your pocket. That's why commodity disks are so neat. They're one-ounce rounds of fine silver with a QR code on the back. Just grab your smartphone's QR reader, scan the coin, and you'll instantly get the silver spot price in Federal Reserve notes and Bitcoin. And if you donate 100 bucks to The Scott Horton Show, he'll send you one. Learn more at Facebook.com slash Commodity Discs. CommodityDiscs.com. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm Scott. It's my show. I'm talking with James Carden, writer for The Nation and The National Interest, and uh, the American Committee for East-West Accord. That's at eastwestaccord.com. And then, uh, sorry, so yeah, you know how it is with the heartbreaks and everything. But, uh, James, uh, we were discussing uh, just how much of a dictator is Putin after all. Well, I think I, I'll preface this by, and this will sound initially like a dodge, but I will get to your question. Um, it, it's not a question or a topic that I actually spend a lot of time uh, thinking about because the way I, I approach sort of foreign policy questions is that um, I don't really believe that the internal dynamics of other countries actually um, tell you all that much about kind of their external posture. Um, so it, it, in terms of Vladimir Putin, see, I get called, uh, you know, a Kremlin Putin apologist rather more often than I would like. And to me, it doesn't really matter if Mr. Putin is going to remain president of Russia for the next five minutes or for the next 50 years. I think that the problems um, that sort of bedevil U.S.-Russian relations um, uh, they predate him, and if they aren't addressed now, um, they'll, they'll remain. And that's the problem of um, that's the problem of the kind of security system within Europe. It's the problem of Russia's place in Europe. It's the problem of NATO uh, and how we get to a sort of um, you know modus vivendi between NATO and Russia, so we don't have these terrible things breaking out like the uh, the conflict um, in Ukraine. I think people put people like Tapper probably put way too much emphasis on the man and not enough on sort of the the uh, the, the shape of the of the geopolitical system. Now, how much of a dictator is Putin? Well, um, look, I think it's pretty um, pretty accepted that you know. When the, in the last election in 2012, he padded, uh, you know, padded his um, uh, his total by about 10 percentage points to 65 percent. He would have won quite handily with 55 percent. Um, you know, now he has a rating of approval rating of about 80 percent. Um, but those those numbers are reliable um, because they're taken by uh, something called the Levada Center, which is very well respected. Um, in the West. So this isn't um, some kind of, you know, tin pot dictatorship where um, when you hear, you know, um, 
some dictator has 90% approval rating, it must be and usually is false. This is actually, those are actually pretty good numbers. Um, and, and so, you know, he, he does have legitimacy. Um, and um, I, I think the other thing that you need to keep in mind here is that um, he is surrounded by high-level politics himself. There are competing interest groups within the Kremlin. This is not a situation where, um, you know, in, in sort of um, popular history, we have the idea of Stalin and what Stalin said went and was the law and that was it. Um, I, my understanding is that that is not the case um, uh, today. Uh, he has um, he has various blocks that he needs to manage. Um, and that isn't so very different from from what what happens in Washington. Um, they refer to their system as, quote, unquote, sort of a managed uh, democracy. Um, I think that's probably a fair, um, you know. Um, yeah, like ours. That's yeah, well, right. actually, I was just going to say that, you know, during during the, you know, this is a good time to think about the state of our own democracy um, because. Yeah, they're a republic you know, like Iran or America. Well, I mean, you know, do they, do they have such things as super delegates and, and and an electoral college? I mean, you know, we don't we don't necessarily have this, you know, um, this wonderful direct democracy that, that we like to pretend that we have. I mean, you know, um, I, my view of it is, is that as someone who is um, who, you know, I rather like Bernie, um, but. You know, I think Hillary's is stealing this thing with these super delegates. I mean, they're not beholden to anyone. It's just a bunch of you know, um, you know, apparatchiks in the Democratic Party who who she has under her under her wing. So I mean, you know, um, we need to allow for 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 differences in in, in other countries' um, political systems. I guess that's sure. that's what I've been in a very long winded way trying to trying to get to. I hope that kind of answers your question. Sure, that's fair. And I don't want to sound like I think that you know. Um, their accusations are the most important questions necessarily. But if we go back, the reason that I asked was I, it was in response to something that you said along the lines of, you know, their kind of baseless narratives about what's going on here and the dictatorship of Putin in their narrative is, you know, part and parcel, of course, with the narrative of his aggression in Eastern Europe and his threat right. that he's going to invade the Balkans any time now. And remember that time when history began in April of 2014 and he invaded Crimea? Lord knows how many people were killed, but it may have been millions. I don't know. And this is their narrative, is that madman Putin is on the loose, and even though he's bombing the Islamic State, we can't allow that. we got to bomb it better and crowd him out because Russian influence in the Middle East, he's trying to take the whole thing over because Obama's weakness, right? This is the narrative that we're getting to. And, and basically, your point in this article uh, here is, yeah, no, that's just not right. Well... <laughs> Well, no, it's, it's None not. Of it is. It, 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 it's not right, and it's. Um, I think one of the other things that I, I try to point to in the in, in the article is that I think that there's an insufficient sufi- um, insufficient um, um, understanding uh, among the candidates that um, the world order uh, as it currently uh, obtains is, um, is 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 exceedingly dangerous. Um, and, and there seems to be very, very so like the, let's go back to Tapper, um, who you know who asked a question about 
Mr. Putin and basically, you know, Mr. Putin's personality and, you know, that implying that, you know, Trump is soft on, on Vladimir Putin because Putin complimented him, whatever. I mean, that is so beside the point. I mean, we what we need to ask these, these, these candidates is that, you know, don't you think that with the United States military and the Russian military circling one another in the skies above Syria, on the waters of the Black Sea and in Ukraine and with NATO's plans to station troops on the Russian frontier. Don't you think that this is sort of dangerous and aren't there risks that we should be that we should be talking about and soberly considering, considering that that um, that, you know, between the two of us, I think we there, there are 16,000 nuclear warheads. But it never comes up. Instead, we get we get these exceedingly stupid questions from Jay Tapper about, you know, why do you like Mr. Putin? So um, yeah. that was sort of the other um, the other reason I wrote the piece. Right. Well, and of course, you know, the the sleepwalking towards war, of course, is a reference to World War One and and the the emphasis that, you know, the unimaginable is possible. <laughs> You know what I mean? As you just mentioned with the nukes. See, this is the problem with the nukes is you automatically sound like some kind of an alarmist. I mean, for crying out loud, we didn't have a nuclear war in the 50s. I mean, we didn't have a nuclear war in the 80s. We're not going to have a nuclear war now. But you know what? Things uh, unpredicted have happened. I think, as you say in the piece, uh, nation states, the people who run them always perceive defensive moves as preparations for aggression. It's just their frame of reference always. And you, you, you mentioned the, the millions and millions butchered in World War One, which grew into World War Two a generation later, etc. Uh, these things have happened in the past, you know, and even with the nukes in the hands of the Americans before. So, um, that's the thing about it. When when the whole narrative is Putin on the march and we must protect humanity from him, when really the reality is it's NATO, our military alliance that's on the march and right up to his borders and overthrowing friendly governments on his borders and this kind of thing, uh, you know, threatening his last naval base, uh, uh, ice-free naval base, this kind of thing. Um, but they, they just won't portray it. They won't tell the story straight. So... The, um, you know, the, the demand from the people to, to knock it off is silent because the, the people don't even know there's anything to complain about. You know, if anything, they're kind of worried about what's Putin going to do next. I heard he's really getting out of control these days. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, um, one of, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar, if you've had him on the show, but, um, Peter Hitchens is a terrific, uh, conservative writer mm -hmm. over in the UK. Um, I'm familiar He's with him. I haven't talked to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he makes the point, and he has he has a long experience in Moscow. He was a correspondent there, um, and he makes the point um, that um, the Soviet Union, when it dissolved, gave up voluntarily, gave up over seven hundred thousand square miles of of of, um, of of territory that they that they controlled. In the, in the, in the intervening years, the European Union has gained control over 400,000 square miles, inching up towards Russia's border. So this idea that, that, that it, that it's Russia that is the encroaching power on the continent just, it just doesn't hold up. And, and, and forget the EU, um, 
you know, any EU basically is is stepping stone is the first step to NATO, to NATO membership. So the idea that the Russians would would, would just would not be alarmed by the the encroachment of the EU and NATO to their borders is simply silly. I mean, that's a remarkably foolish way to 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 look at the world that 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 they're just going to take our word for it that Russia is simply merely a defensive alliance. Would we take their word for it? I would hope not. Yeah. Yeah, simple as that. I mean, if, if you put the shoe on the other foot, uh, them overthrowing the government in Canada or something like that, I mean, the H-bombs would have already been lit off a long time ago. All right, anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. Sure. I kept you way over time here, James, and i got to cut you off, but thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate having you. Thanks, Scott. Take care. All right, so that's James Card. You can find him at consortiumnews.com, the national interest, and eastwestaccord.com, now featuring Chuck Hagel. Man, that's progress, right? Back in one sec. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, you guys, welcome back. All right, I've been telling you all about this article for a week. Finally got the author on the line here. Um, the article is at alternet.org. The FBI, oh, it's not the author. He's featured in it. I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Alternet.org, the article is by Sarah Lazare. Uh, the article is called, The FBI Has a New Plan to Spy on High School Students Across the Country. And um, our guest is Arund Kondnani. I hope I said that close enough to correct to not offend you, sir. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, that, that was absolutely right. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Um, okay, so it says here you are author of The Muslims Are Coming. Oh, God. Islamophobia, Extremism, and the Domestic War on Terror. Well, good for you for writing such a thing. I'm sure it's... Uh, uh, absolutely great, and I know just from the title how important and necessary work like that is. So, uh, thank you for that, uh, professor, adjunct professor at New York University. Okay, so please explain to us uh, first of all what it is uh, that we're talking about here in terms of this new FBI National Police Program in America's high schools. Right. Well. We have a document that's come out from the FBI that outlines a plan um, where the FBI is essentially trying to recruit high school educators um, to collect information about students, um, not about any potential criminal activity, which, of course, is entirely legitimate that, that you would want teachers to, to report that, but um, essentially to monitor Muslim students for... Um, their religious and political opinion, um, which is a very different thing. Um, and so this is part of the kind of broader picture that we've seen over the last, over a decade um, now, of the FBI being involved in very wide-ranging uh, forms of surveillance of, of um, religious and political activism in the United States, um, especially with regards to Muslim populations here. Yeah. And then so um, 
And now, well, I mean, I want to go back one thing, and it's not, it was, you know, I understand your point, but I just wanted to clarify, and this still would be local police work unless somebody suspects that there's some international crime ring, uh, or uh, pardon me, interstate crime ring of high schoolers, you know, transporting stolen goods or trafficking you know, people across state lines or something like that. It's hard to imagine uh, what business the FBI would have in any high school unless there was a specific case that drew them to it. Right. I mean, you know, terrorism is a federal crime by and large. Um, FBI is appropriately involved in investigating terrorism where there is some kind of predicate some kind of reasonable suspicion that sure. a terrorist plot is occurring. Um, but this is something very different. This is, um, we want to know what students are saying um, about the U.S. government, what students are saying about their religious beliefs. Um, it's crossed the line um, by quite a way into First Amendment protected activities. Hmm. And now, are they even claiming... Yeah, because that one time a Muslim high school kid did something or anything, they don't even have an excuse for this, do they? Um, well, this program has been imported from Britain, actually. Um, and the the, um, the thinking in counterterrorism circles on both sides of the Atlantic is that, um, you know, that the threat um, comes from teenagers. Um, there's not really any evidence for that, but that's the kind of growing assumption made made in in the counterterrorism world. And so, um, in Britain, you know, which is a few years ahead of the game on on this particular trend, we have seen um, this happen for for a while now, where where high school students, um, even even very young children. Um, Come under government surveillance. We have we've had a situation in in Britain where um, even nursery schools have been recruited to be the kind of eyes and ears of the counterterrorism surveillance. So that's dealing with children who are four years old. I once interviewed a police officer in Britain and asked him, "Well, what would be the sign that a four-year-old is being radicalised?" Which is what they, they were supposedly looking out for. And the police officer said, "Well." They might draw pictures of bombs in their notebook, um, uh, and and you know, of course, I think. I mean, well, I certainly drew pictures of bombs when I was four years old. Um, right. It's not it's not an indicator of radicalization. It's an indicator that you're four. Um, right. That's the so, first thing I ever learned how to draw was little army men shooting each other. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and and actually, just in the news today in Britain, there's there's a story about um, uh, you know. A, a, five- or six-year-old kid who was reported to the police because he drew um, a picture of a bomb in his school notebook. Um, that's that's the kind of thing that, that we're dealing with here. Yeah. Well, and so, and I'm sorry, because it's a little bit off, to- or not, it's, it's not off topic, but it's not exactly the point here. But I have to point out, when it comes to police work in America, when it comes to entrapping some idiot into saying he loves Osama, or when it comes to investigating children to find out whether they're about to become Al-Qaeda or whatever it is, it's always politics. Politics, politics, politics. What's the U.S. Army doing? What are they saying about what the U.S. Army is doing? etc. like that. And yet they tell us all day... They hate us because of how extreme their religious beliefs are. 
So you would think that when they're going to entrap some guy, they would say, don't you believe in Islam real bad? And doesn't that make you want to blow yourself up and kill an innocent person because of how strong your beliefs are? They don't even try that because that's stupid. That's not what this is about. That was never what this is about. And they're not asking teachers to say, hey, hey, we want to know. Which Muslims in your class seem like they're the most devout? Which ones are praying five times a day? Because that's the leading indicator of whether they're terrorists. No. The question is, what are they saying about what the government is doing? In other words, what violence the U.S. government is unleashing upon other Muslims in the world? That's what this is about, and they know it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's precisely the point. Um, this is... This is um you know, this, the violence that we see is, is driven by political causes, not by religious causes. Um, and, um, and a lot of the time, um, when you look at the actual practices of government agencies, um, there is an implicit understanding of that. But the rhetoric, the rhetoric coming from government and from politicians always tells a different story. I mean, we saw that again, um, in the last few days from, from Donald Trump when he's talking about, um, Islam. Um, has a problem of, of hatred of the United States. Well, no, the problem the problem is not that Islam has a hatred of the United States. The problem is that there's a fair number of people who are quite angry with the United States because of um, our foreign policy, not because of anything to do with Sharia law or anything. So the um, you know I think we 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 would be doing a better job um, in um, reducing this problem this problem if we understood um, that dynamic and and stepped out of this um, comfort zone where we can blame the whole problem on um, an alien a, perceive, a, a religion that is perceived to be alien from from us um, we are in a cycle of violence um, with various groups around the world and um, if we're interested in peace we're interested in reducing um, violence around the world including terrorism then yeah, the first step is to recognize our own role in that conflict. Yep. Well, it's also a shame that it's got to be said that, you know, if people can't really respect others' rights, at least reflect that if their rights are forfeit, then yours are too at the hands of the very same surveillance state. So don't think like you're protected just because now they're picking on someone who's Arab or Muslim or something like that. Anyway, I'm sorry we got to stop and take this break, but we'll uh, find out more about this absolutely outrageous uh, project and this story at alternet.org about the FBI monitoring your kids' politics at alternet.org. Uh, back in a sec. Hey, all Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. This is my show, The Scott Horton Show. So the article is by Sarah Lazare, but the expert in the article and on the show right now is Arun Kundnani. He is the author of The Muslims Are Coming, Islamophobia, Extremism, and the Domestic War on Terror, adjunct professor at New York University. Uh, the article, again, is by Sarah Lazare at Alternet. 
and it is entitled, The FBI Has a New Plan to Spy on High School Students Across the Country. And, you know, I was kind of going off there about the, the whole thing about um, uh, they're, they're asking the teachers here to focus on politics, not radical Islam or, or any of that nonsense. But that shouldn't obscure the fact that having teachers focus on kids' politics is no way to find terrorists anyway. I mean, this is completely ridiculous. All kinds of nonviolent people have very radical politics, and there's no algorithm or or data mining formula in the world that's going to root out somebody who's going to actually commit a terrorist act based on political beliefs, especially in this country where such a thing is virtually unheard of, you know, compared to a lot of places in the world. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, the other thing that is worth pointing out in this discussion is if you look at the actual data on um, terrorist violence since 9-11 in the United States, more people have been killed by far-right extremists than by Muslims. Um, that's data from the New America Foundation. So, um, you know, it, it, our, our perceptions of the nature of the terrorist threat and where it comes from are completely out of touch with reality. I mean, we have hugely inflated um, the threat to uh, U.S. society from terrorism, and we have um, misunderstood its source. It comes from a number of different um, ideologies, not just from Muslims. Right. Well, and that goes uh, to what I was saying before the break, too, about, you know, if, if people aren't concerned about this happening to the others, think about it happening to themselves. So-called right-wing domestic terrorism, as you say, there have been more incidents uh, committed by people uh, under that description than Muslims since uh, September 11th. And yet, think of how many people are right-wing, redneck, mullet-headed, gun-owning non-terrorists in America who would never be terrorists under any circumstance, who would never attack a civilian target over some political anything, right? How many anti-abortion activists could never, all of them, right, with with the slightest single-digit exceptions, would ever commit, a, you know, attack an abortion clinic or something like that? So just think about what happens, what could happen if that broad brush is applied to your side of the political argument, um, the way that they can do with with Muslims. Because after all, you know, most Americans, I think I read a poll that said most Americans, as far as they know, have never met a Muslim, especially people who live in rural areas. Um, they, they may never have come across one in their life. So their only idea of Muslims is what they've learned on TV. And that's a pretty skewed picture. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the interesting thing here is... is um, most most people in America think they haven't met a Muslim, but they probably have. Well, yeah, that's a good um, point too. That, yeah. It's just that their their idea of what a Muslim is um, doesn't correspond to, you know, the the doctor that's treated them, um, the cab driver that's driven them around, because those people just seem like regular people, and the idea in their head of what a Muslim is is, you know, the the, the turban wearing um, crazy extremists that they've seen on TV. Um, so. You know, there's, there's over 2 million Muslims in the United States. Um, they don't all live in New York. They live across the country. Um, and um, they've been in the United States um, for as long as the United States existed. Um, about a third of Muslims in the United States are African-American Muslims. Um, you know, and, and you wouldn't know from meeting one that they're necessarily Muslim. Um, so... Um, 
you know, I think I think there's a kind of hidden presence that that isn't necessarily visible. Yeah, well, it sure is uh, plenty of people for cops to have make work programs around. You know, if they just want to go around surveilling and persecuting people, there are plenty of targets. I guess when they start running out, they can prey on the kids. You know, like 21 Jump Street, let's go see if we can trick a kid into buying a bag of pot so we can put him in jail, you know, and and go ahead and start preying on the kids now. And um, and you, you mentioned in here, too, that they say that, uh, you know, left-wing kids, I guess white kids with dreadlocks, you know, uh, left-wing environmental activist types, oh, they're all very suspicious, too. I heard that one time somewhere somebody broke a Starbucks window or set an SUV on fire, and therefore anybody with a earth first bent is automatically suspect as well won't be long before you know you know right-wing kids uh, who talk about guns will be on the same list absolutely i mean that's that's already happened um the um you know the environmental movement the animal rights movement um those those are kind of already being considered by the fbi to be um kind of precursors to terrorism um an incident like like a kid breaking a you know a window in Starbucks on a demonstration or something like that, um, you know that's that's vandalism, politically motivated vandalism. But as far as the FBI is concerned, that counts as terrorism. Damage to property of that kind will count as terrorism in their in their kind of definitional system. Um, and and uh, some people who've been involved in that kind of activity have been prosecuted as, as terrorists. Um, so we've, you know, we, the way we use this word terrorism is uh, part of the problem here. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's all kinds of different um, forms of political activism that get criminalised in this way. And of course, this is not new. Um, you know, this is what we saw in the um, Hoover era of the FBI in the 1960s with things like a program called COINTELPRO, which was designed by the FBI to criminalise left-wing activism um, from, you know, from the Communist Party to uh, Martin Luther King. It wasn't very distinguishing um, in, in, in what it defined as a threat. Now, at the peak of the Hoover era FBI, the FBI was running 1,500 informants in the United States covering information about left-wing activists, civil rights movement activists, Etc. Today in the United States, we have 15,000 paid informants working for the FBI, um, doing similar kinds of work, um, and so that indicates, you know, the kind of scale of surveillance that we currently have running from the government. Um, we like to think that, you know, the Hoover era of the FBI was in the past, but actually we are on those numbers um, exceeding anything Hoover would would have done. All right now. Um... There have been, I guess, one or maybe two circumstances where um, political correctness from the left and the right has actually been useful in curbing some of this stuff. The right-wing outrage over the Homeland Security report about right-wing terrorism where anybody with a Ron Paul uh, bumper sticker is, you know, suspect, according to the DHS. They had to back down from that. And there have been uh, training materials that have been exposed uh, by journalists uh, that the FBI and, and uh, domestic, uh, I guess, city police, NYPD types have been using about all oh, the dangers of Islam and all this kind of thing that they have had to, you know, 
because they're embarrassed, basically, publicly embarrassed by the journalism, they've had to withdraw. And I wonder if there's anything, any kind of pressure like that going on. I know the ACLU is mentioned in this article, but is there any real pushback trying to force the FBI to stop this? I mean, is there a law passed by Congress that says that they can do this by any stretch or what? Uh, I mean, I don't think this is driven by um, any kind of congressional legislation. Uh, I think it, it falls under the existing powers that the FBI has. Um, the certainly, um, you know, there are activists um, on the left, um, like myself, who are trying to take this stuff on. Um, we speak out about it. We, you know, work with organisations like the ACLU and others to. Um, try and challenge this um and uh you know i think if if um people who are libertarians conservatives um anyone else in the united states who believes that um this is not what government should be doing um you know i think if, if those different constituencies can come together then there is a real chance to push back against this stuff well uh, we sure like to hope so. I think we had our chance, but it was uh, eight and four years ago with Ron Paul. He wanted to repeal the 21st century and get back to the Bill of Rights, and everybody said, boo. <laughs> and so here we are. And now our choices are between worse than the guy we have now and worse than <laughs> that. So, I don't know, Right. Man. Well, maybe some of you guys need to come over to Bernie Sanders. He's, he's saying some of the same thing. But, uh, uh, well, you know what? I mean, as long as you mention it, on the off chance you know somebody knows somebody, he doesn't even have to attack her in order to promise to be better on war. And he would do so much better if he would just talk about the wars, but he won't. And so it's his own self-sabotage, if you ask me. But I'm sorry we're out of time. Thank you so much for your time, Arund. It's Arund Kundanani from New York University. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.